Russia-Ukraine war Biden and Sunak meet ahead of NATO summit. Shashank Bengali Cassandra Vinograd Vivek Shankar Stephen Erlanger Cassandra Vinograd Michael Crowley Matthew Mpoke Big President Biden and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak of Britain are meeting briefly in London before a gathering of NATO leaders in Lithuania. Here's what we're covering. London, President Biden met with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak of Britain on Monday, making a brief stop in London on the eve of a NATO summit where leaders are expected to focus on supporting Ukraine against the Russian invasion. Mr. Biden arrived at 10 Downing Street on Monday morning and was greeted with a warm handshake by Mr. Sunak. Both men are scheduled to attend a two-day summit of NATO leaders beginning on Tuesday in Vilnius, Lithuania. The United States and Britain are among Ukraine's most stalwart supporters, but the two leaders have differed on the question of whether and how quickly Ukraine should be able to join NATO. Mr. Sunak said last month that Ukraine's rightful place is in NATO, although he has not called for Ukraine to be given a roadmap to membership in the transatlantic military alliance. Mr. Biden has been more hesitant and on Sunday offered his most definitive comments to date that Ukraine was not ready for membership, saying it was premature to begin the process to allow Ukraine to join the alliance in the middle of a war. In an interview with CNN's Fareed Zakaria, Mr. Biden said that he did not think there is unanimity in NATO about whether or not to bring Ukraine into the NATO family now, and that the process could take place only after a peace agreement with Russia was in place. Referring to the alliance's commitment to mutual defense, Mr. Biden said, if the war is going on, then we're all in war. He added that there would be other qualifications that need to be met, including democratization, for Ukraine to be considered for membership. Later on Monday, Mr. Biden is scheduled to meet with King Charles III at Windsor Castle, near London, where the two are expected to discuss clean energy investment and efforts to combat climate change in developing nations. They are issues that Charles has been warning about since the 1970s and that Mr. Biden has made a central focus of his presidency. Mr. Biden did not attend the coronation of Charles in May, which was attended by the First Lady, Jill Biden, and their granddaughter Finnegan. When he called the king to send his regrets and offer congratulations, Charles invited the president to visit Britain, setting the stage for the Monday meeting that American officials are calling a mini-state visit. The logistics for Mr. Biden's trip have not been without some static. The White House initially questioned the need for a stop at 10 Downing Street with Mr. Sunak, according to an official familiar with the planning, since the two men would meet at the NATO summit a day later. For Mr. Sunak, however, a handshake with the president in front of his residence is politically valuable, and the White House ultimately agreed to it. Katie Rogers, Zolan Kanoyuns, and Mark Landler contributed reporting. The State of the War Military aid Breaking with several of its closest allies, the Biden administration said it would provide Ukraine with cluster munitions, which are known to cause grievous injuries to civilians and are widely banned. Fundraising effort Donations have been critical for supplying Ukraine's military but as contributions lag, some soldiers are turning to unconventional means, including viral videos and painting sales, to raise money. The Wagner Mystery 
After Yevgeny Prigazin staged a brief insurrection in Russia, President Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus said that his country had taken him in a few days later, the Belarusian leader, and reports in the Russian media, suggested otherwise. A significant attack Ukraine's military launched an overnight strike on the Russian-occupied city of Makivka, https colon slash slash www.newyorktimes.com slash 2023 07 05 world slash Europe slash Ukraine strike Makivka Russia war. HTML, action equals click and type equals legacy collection and state equals default 10 module equals SDYLN Russia Ukrainian variant equals show and region equals main underscore content underscore one and block equals storyline underscore top underscore links underscore circ, showing that it could still hit targets deep behind Russian lines as its troops fight in a grueling counteroffensive to reclaim land. KYIV, Ukraine, a Russian airstrike killed at least four people and wounded more than a dozen others in a frontline town in the Zaporizhia region of southern Ukraine over the weekend, Ukrainian officials said Monday. The Office of Ukraine's Prosecutor General said the strike had hit a civilian infrastructure facility early on Sunday afternoon in the town of Orkiv. It said that in addition to the four dead, 13 people were wounded. The prosecutor's office did not provide further details. Yuri Malashko, the head of the regional military administration, said a guided bomb had hit a residential area where humanitarian aid was being distributed, killing three women and a man, all in their 40s. Ukraine's Ministry of Internal Affairs said that several people had been pulled from the rubble of a building that was almost completely destroyed and that rescue efforts were continuing Monday. Those details could not be independently verified. Ukrainian forces have for more than a month been waging a counteroffensive in the south and east of the country to recapture territory occupied by Russia. Some of the heaviest fighting of the campaign has been reported near Orkiv. Analysts have long anticipated a major Ukrainian thrust in the area, pushing southward toward the city of Melitopol and the Sea of Azov in an attempt to cut into the land that Russia has seized. Mr. Malashko said that the deadly strike on Orkiv was one of 36 Russian attacks on Sunday alone in the Zaporizhia region. President Biden and other NATO leaders are making a last-minute push before an annual summit to address crucial disagreements that threaten to overshadow the alliance's unity in opposition to Russia's war in Ukraine. Among the thorniest issues are expanding the North Atlantic Treaty Organization by adding Sweden and providing a pathway for membership to Ukraine. On Sunday, Mr. Biden spoke with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, who has objected to adding Sweden to the alliance. Mr. Biden, according to the White House, told Mr. Erdogan of his desire to welcome Sweden into NATO as soon as possible. There will be another effort to bring around Mr. Erdogan before the two-day summit kicks off on Tuesday. The NATO Secretary-General, Jens Stoltenberg, is scheduled to meet on Monday with Mr. Erdogan and Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson of Sweden. Some NATO leaders also hope to approve an effort to bring Ukraine closer to the alliance, including the reaffirmation of a commitment to admit it to the alliance. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine, who is undecided about whether to travel to Vilnius, Lithuania, for the summit, told ABC News that he would not go to, for fun, saying in an interview that aired Sunday his country should get clear security guarantees. But Mr. Biden recently told CNN that it was premature to begin the process to allow Ukraine to join the alliance in the middle of a war. 
The NATO summit is the first to include Finland, which applied to join the alliance shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine last year. Finland became the 31st NATO member in April, doubling the alliance's border with Russia and adding to it a strong military with a long history of countering the Kremlin. Sweden's bid to join has been held up by opposition from Turkey, which has insisted that Sweden take a harder line against pro-Kurdish activists and members of an outlawed religious group whom Turkey considers terrorists. Here's what else to watch for this week. Biden visits Europe. Mr. Biden arrived in Britain on Sunday for meetings with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and King Charles III on Monday. Once the NATO summit finishes on Wednesday, Mr. Biden will deliver a significant address on issues including climate change and Russia's aggression in Ukraine. He will finish the trip with a meeting in Helsinki with President Sali Niinistö of Finland. Grain Deals End Looms Russian officials are threatening to let the Black Sea grain deal expire on July 17, accusing Western nations of not upholding the part of the agreement that benefits Russia. The deal allows Ukraine to ship agricultural products through Russian-controlled waters and for Russia to sell certain goods that had been blocked by sanctions. It has been extended three times, most recently in May, despite Russian officials' repeated threats to withdraw. Late last month, a German convoy of 1,000 troops with tanks, drones and armored vehicles made its way some 750 miles to a Lithuanian military compound in Pabrade in three days, using trains, ferries, trucks and planes, all NATO practice for a possible incursion by foreign, read, Russian, troops. The huge military exercise, integrating German and Lithuanian troops, began with reconnaissance and turned into a noisy, dusty battle that, not surprisingly, NATO won. Leopard tanks covered in camouflage raced back and forth in a haze of dirt, firing as they went, drones buzzed in the air, armored infantry vehicles spun through battlefield, soldiers covered with brush advanced slowly, weapons blazing. The NATO exercise was meant to convince Lithuania and other countries bordering Russia that the promise of rapid reinforcement and collective defense was a reality. It was also intended to demonstrate the alliance's new commitment to countering a more dangerous Russia, which argues that its war in Ukraine is a necessary response to what it considers NATO's effort to dismantle Moscow's sphere of influence. As NATO leaders prepare to gather in nearby Vilnius, the Lithuanian capital, on Tuesday, the Baltic nations and the others on Europe's eastern flank are feeling especially vulnerable. In the early days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which began in February 2022, the Russians seized more territory than the entire country of Estonia, notes Yuri Loik, Estonia's ambassador to NATO and a former defense minister. What happened on that territory, before Russian troops were forced to pull back, has become a symbol of wanton destruction and possible war crimes. Citing the devastation in the Ukrainian cities of Bucha, Irpin and Kherson, NATO's frontline states have convinced allies that collective defense means vastly enhanced deterrence. The military alliance is responding, developing detailed war plans and a commitment of troops, equipment and money not seen since the end of the Cold War. Political approval of those plans is at the center of the annual summit meeting. This is one in an occasional series of dispatches about life amid the war in Ukraine. KYIV, Ukraine, just steps away from rush hour traffic on Kyiv's busy terrace Shevchenko Boulevard, a handful of retirees pruned bushes in a quiet, green oasis. 
They started coming when the war broke out, said Natalia Belometz, the curator of this small botanical garden. They wanted to help. The A.V. Fomin Botanical Garden is one of Ukraine's oldest. It has stood in the center of the capital, Kiev, for nearly two centuries. Members of the garden staff were encouraged to leave Kiev or work remotely when Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022. But soon afterward, the need arose for seasonal work and garden maintenance, so volunteers organized on social media and came to help. This botanical garden is a pearl of Kiev, a green jewel in the city center, Ms. Belometz said on a recent morning. It is important to keep it beautiful, she added, not only for us, but for the city and the country. The volunteers do simple garden work, like digging, collecting branches and watering. At one point, there were about 20 people volunteering on a weekly basis. These days, the numbers have dwindled because many people have returned to full-time jobs. Still, new faces are always coming. As Ms. Bellamet spoke, two women arrived and were led over to a bush by a long-time volunteer. They got right down to work, one of the women pulling at the branches of a low bush, a brown leather purse slung over her shoulder. Svetlana Sitko, 62, has been volunteering in the gardens since April 2022 when the horrors unleashed by Russian troops in the suburbs of Kiev, including Bucha, in their failed attempt to seize the capital were only just becoming clear. After Bucha, after Kiev, we had to do something, Ms. Sitko sighed. She pointed to her chest, it starts in the heart. We wanted to do something in the city, for people, to help. Her hands, clad in blue gardening gloves, gestured animatedly as she spoke about the orchard she and her husband have planted at their cottage outside Kiev, pears, apple trees, blackberries, blueberries, currants and honeysuckle. A retired child psychologist, Ms. Sitko said that when she left the garden, she would change out of her purple leggings and dirt-stained shoes and head to another wartime volunteer job, making camouflage nets for snipers. Her husband, Yuri, was tending flowers nearby. He is the true gardening enthusiast, she went on. Married for 36 years, they were born for years apart on February 24. That is the same date that Russia launched its full-scale invasion last year. Last May, she said, a soldier came to the garden with his wife and a small child in his arms. He told her that he had a few hours free and that he wanted to see something beautiful with his family. I definitely believe that these guys who are at the front need this very much, she said. They will come back after the war. Finding beauty in the garden, she added, is important for the soul and the eyes. Along the Finnish-Russia border, on a recent afternoon, an attack from Russian military bases a few miles from here seemed a distant prospect. That's not only because, as NATO's newest member, Finland now enjoys the guaranteed protection of 30 nations, including the United States, a development that President Biden will celebrate during a visit to Helsinki this week. It's also because most of the Russians once stationed in the area went to fight in Ukraine, and many if not most of them, Finnish officials say, are dead. It may be years before Russia poses a conventional military threat from across the verdant forest of pine, spruce and birch. But there were some Russians to be seen on a sunny June day at the Volama border crossing, about midway between Helsinki and St. Petersburg.
A trickle came and went, many inexpensive cars, an Audi Q7, a black BMW with two sleek bikes mounted on a rack. These Russians were likely dual passport holders, possibly headed to other European countries that they can reach only by land because of flight restrictions following Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year. For anyone trying to cross the border illicitly, border guard foot patrols roam the woods. But their trail-sniffing dogs encounter few Russians trying to sneak into Finland. Perhaps the biggest concern on this afternoon was a black bear seen prowling the area. The peaceful scene belied the fear among many Finns that despite Russia's weakened state, this transit point, and their country, could one day become a Russian target. That anxiety prompted Finland to seek membership in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization last year, a process completed in April when Finland became its 31st member in what Mr. Biden calls a strategic blow for President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia. That move infused a long, placid relationship between Moscow and Helsinki with sharp new tensions. Five Ukrainian commanders of the Azov Regiment, extolled in Ukraine for defending the port city of Mariupol last year during an 80-day Russian siege before they surrendered as prisoners of war, have been given a hero's welcome after returning home. The men appeared with President Volodymyr Zelensky before crowds late Saturday in the western city of Lviv after returning to Ukraine from Turkey, where they had been held since September under the terms of a prisoner exchange with Russia. Denis Prokopenko, one of the commanders who was returned, said that the freed fighters would rejoin the front lines, according to a video posted on Twitter by local news media. We will definitely have our say in battle, Mr. Prokopenko told reporters in Lviv. Asked whether he would fight on the front lines, he replied, that is why we returned to Ukraine. Moscow reacted angrily to the news that the Azov fighters had returned to Ukraine. The Kremlin's spokesman, Dmitry S. Peskov, accused Turkey of breaking an agreement to keep the men on its territory until the end of the war. There was no immediate comment from the Turkish authorities. The government in Kiev did not offer a public explanation for how or why the fighters came to be returned home. Mr. Peskov claimed that the decision was tied to what he said was Ukraine's failure in a counteroffensive that began last month. Ukraine claims it is making small but steady gains in its grueling campaign to reclaim territory in the south and east of the country. But Mr. Peskov said that Turkey had been put under pressure by fellow NATO members to allow the Ukrainians to return home to distract attention from the faltering effort to regain territory. He offered no evidence for his claims.